Well, I'm so glad uh, to, to, be, to be with you guys this morning, and um, we're in between series. Uh, this summer, we're going to be going through the book of Psalms together. We're going to be doing a series called Songs of the Summer, and uh, we're going to be talking all about the, I'm not going to go through every psalm, because there's a lot of them, <laughs> but I'm going to pick some of the favorites and some of my favorites, and we're going we're gonna to talk through the book of Psalms, and it's going to be a really refreshing time. Um, but this morning, I was, um, I, I, was, I was feeling like the Lord wanted to speak a, a fresh word and wanted to do something a little different. And I normally, normally I'm, I'm planned weeks in advance for what message I'm going to speak. And so I, I have an idea of what's coming up. But I just felt like uh, as I was preparing, I, I wanted to share a little bit out of my devotions. Is that okay? And... Um, I want to share from a little bit what God was showing me in devotions, but he had me flipping through scripture this week. And I, at one point I thought I'm going to preach on this passage and then uh, next day I'm going to preach on this passage. And I would develop these whole outlines that day. And then the next day God would say, no, we're going to talk. And I develop a whole nother outline. And then, and then Thursday I finally landed on, on, on what we're going to talk about today. And, um, we're going to be in Exodus 17, but we're also going to be in Numbers chapter 20. And it's the, this, the, the narrative of Moses striking the rock and water coming out of the rock. But let me give you a little bit of, of why I feel like this message is, is for us this morning and why it's so important for this season. Um, I really feel like this has been one of the most challenging seasons for so many people. And... For, for everybody, I think it's been a challenging season for everybody, but in the church especially, it's really been, it's been difficult. Um, and I was fortunate enough to come in in December when the pan- pandemic was already like, you know, in full swing and, and there were already expectations established here for, you know, what to do, are we going to wear masks, are we not going to wear masks, and what, you know, what are we going to do? But there's still, I'm watching, I'm watching other leaders and I'm watching other pastors, and I've experienced a little bit of this, but not to the extent of other leaders, but I, I'm watching um, the season that we're in unfold, and I'm trying to figure out a way to say this, because deli- I feel like this is a, a sweet word from the Lord, but it's also going to sound kind of challenging. Um, I, I just feel like this has been a season where God wants to reveal things inside of us, and he wants to invite us to a new level. So I think what has been revealed in this last season is... Um, is both the lack of maturity in some believers in the church and both spiritual maturity. Amen. That this season, uh, whatever was there, buried deep down, really came to the surface in this last season. It was revealed in the surface. And so when the government shut down everything and when we couldn't gather in person, you had a group of people that, that, that stayed engaged and they were in their devotions and they were worshiping at home and they were still uh, engaged at church online and giving. And they, I mean, the spiritual maturity was there. And it just came to the surface. And then you had a whole other group of people who, as soon as church was closed down, they stopped worshiping. They stopped staying. They, they weren't in community anymore. And I'm not, talking to anybody, I'm not talking to anybody watching online. Because I understand that there are many reasons for people to, to stop coming in person. But I'm not talking about coming in person. I'm talking about staying engaged. Not only to the church, but to your spiritual development, to your spiritual growth. And so this, this season really revealed what was already there. 
But not only did it reveal that, I really feel that we're in a season where God's inviting us into something more. Where whatever was there, God is saying, you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to stay that I want to invite you into a deeper level of, of intimacy with me. And so um, never before in my life, you know, have I, um, never before in my life have, have I been criticized about uh, living in fear uh, and also, um, I, you know, I, I ha- never in my life have I been criticized both for wearing a mask and not wearing a mask in the same day. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, you have people that, that are, that just, they won't come to church because of the pandemic. And then there's people that come through the front door and they see some people wearing masks and they turn around and walk out. And it's like, that's a challenge. And so God is inviting the church to rise to the occasion and be the people of God and exercise a new level of patience and, and love and respect for one another. And I believe that uh, God is doing something new in the church today. The church will never be the same ever again. I don't know if you've understood this or not. People are waiting to go back to the normal. It's never going to happen. We're not going back. There's a new normal and God is doing something new in the church. And if you partner with him in this, you can, um, you can experience the more that, that God has. But here's my greatest fear for the church in this season. My greatest fear is that the church would put their focus on the things that God's not doing. And they miss what God is trying to do in their life. I'm talking about individuals. That if you put your energy and your focus on, on something that God is not in and you think that he is in, you're going to miss out on what God is actually trying to do within you. He's trying to do something in all of us. And so I, I want to talk about seasons, and I want to talk about new things and new beginnings. And so uh, Exodus chapter 17, if, you're with there, uh, with, if, if you turn there with me in your Bible, let me give you the backstory. The people of God... Uh, have just left Egypt, and now they're making their way to Mount Sinai. Sinai, And the people of God, they start to complain. They, they get hungry, and they say, we need to turn around and go back to Egypt. At least we had food there, and God provides manna from heaven. And then they complain that there's no meat. Oh, we just eaten this manna that God miraculously provided. I wish there was meat, and God brings quail. And, it, and it's provided for the Israelites, but then the Israelites get thirsty. And they start complaining again, God, we want, we want, we're thirsty, we want water. And they go before Moses, and, and Moses goes before the Lord and asks what to do because the people, they want to go back to Egypt, and they want to stone Moses. The guy who just led them out of Egypt, the Bible says they're ready to stone him to death because they're frustrated that they're hungry and they're thirsty and they're in the wilderness, and they don't have the luxuries of Egypt. Does it sound ridiculous, doesn't it? Well, this is what happens in verse 5. Moses goes before the Lord when the people are complaining. Exodus 17, verse 5. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. So fast forward to Numbers chapter 20. The people have, uh, in between Exodus 17 and Numbers 20, this is what has happened. The people ventured on to Mount Sinai where they're given the law. And then from Sinai, they journey to Kadesh where they are about to enter the promised land, but they send the spies into the promised land. 
And out of the 12 spies, 10 of them are saying the people, the inhabitants of the land are so great. They're the descendants of Anak. They're, they're giants. We cannot do this. We cannot conquer them. And Joshua and Caleb are the only two that have the courage to want to move into the promised land. And what does God do? God says, because of your rebellion, you are going to wander the wilderness for 40 years in the desert. Why? God is waiting for those who are familiar with the things of Egypt to die in the wilderness. He want, that, that generation is going, is going to die in the wilderness. And so, um, so they're in their last year. They're wandering the wilderness for, for 40 years, and they're in their 40th year. The Bible says that it's the beginning. It's the first month of the 40th year. And the people begin to complain again about not having water. They're thirsty. So this is what happens in uh, Numbers 20, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses... Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels! Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. What? (laughs) They're in their last year of wandering the wilderness. And suddenly Moses is disqualified from entering the promised land. Why? He did the exact same thing in Exodus 17. He, struck, he, he used a method that worked for him in the past. Right? He was doing something that he knew had worked in the past. You know what? I'm going to stick with what I know. Because it worked in the past. And he decided to do it regardless of the fact that God told him, don't strike the rock, speak to the rock. Moses used an old method and did you notice that the results were the same? Water came out. We're going to get to that in, in a minute. The, the water still gushed out, but Moses was disqualified from entering the promised land. Well, Moses, he did three things wrong here. He did three things wrong. Number one, he acted out in anger towards the people. That was the first thing he did wrong. Number two is he, I don't know if you caught this, but he equated himself with God when he said, must we bring water from this rock for you? He was equating himself with God in that moment. And number three, he struck the rock instead of speak to the rock. And I believe that in this season, like I said, the church is never going to be the same. And I think that as we move forward into the new normal, and as we move forward into how to learn to love not only the people that are outside of our church, but we need to love each other in a whole new way. Because we, what we've realized is not everybody in our church believes the same things, right? Not, not, there's not two of us that are the same, okay? And we need to learn to love each other in a new measure and, in, and to love the world in a new measure. But in order to faithfully serve God, we have to learn how to do a few things. In order to successfully serve God, here's, I've, I have three things for you this morning. I'm sure there's a lot more, uh, a lot more tips and ways that we can serve God, but, but I think that these are three things for us uh, in this season. To successfully serve God, we have to learn to identify seasons. 
We have to learn to identify which seasons we're in. Moses got angry at the people, and God told him that because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not enter the promised land. See, God's desire for the people this, in this moment, it, it's, it was different than Exodus 17. The people were in a different season. In Exodus 17, it was before Sinai, it was before the law, and now they're on the brink of entering the promised land after 40 years of the desert, and the Lord is extending a new invitation to his people. I don't know if you remember the story uh, uh, when the people of God go to Mount Sinai, but what does the Lord ask the people to do? He wants everybody, not just Moses to come up to the mountain, but he calls all of the people. He wants all of the people to come to up, up the mountain and speak to him. But the people are terrified because they see the thunder and the clouds hovering above the mountain and they get fearful and they say, Moses, you go for us. We don't want to talk to him because if we're in his presence, we're going to die. So Moses, you go. And God, as a result, sends Moses back down the mountain with the Ten Commandments and with the law. And God says, okay, because you didn't want relationship with me, this is how it's going to work now. I'm, I'm going to give you ways to live. Things to, I'm going to show you how to live your life according to the law, and you have to obey the law. And so originally, though, God wanted the people to come up and have this intimate relationship with him. And I think right now, they're in another one of those seasons that God... He, he said in his word that uh, you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy. And decided, God wanted this moment to be a holy moment for the Israelites. But Moses misrepresented God by acting out of anger instead of compassion. And what God was doing in Exodus 17, it was different in this season. And what worked then is not what's going to work now. Moses disobeyed and relied on the familiar instead of the new instruction of God. See, I, I think this relates to us in this way that I, I, I believe that the church is on the edge of revival. If you study revival throughout the history of America, you can, you can see that when society was at its lowest point, when there was corruption, when there was fear, when, when society was at the lowest of low, that's when revival breaks out. That's when God begins to move. And I believe that our, I believe the American church is at, at the edge of revival And I think, like I said in the beginning, we're in a season of revealing an invitation where God is trying to get his church ready. God is taking the church to a place where only spiritually mature believers can go. God is taking the church to a place where only the mature can go, where only healthy churches can go. And I think he's trying to ready his church. Many churches discovered there's people who only worship corporately and not privately because when the Sunday gathering was shut down, people stopped worshiping. When Saturday prayer was shut down, people didn't pray at home. Not everybody. Some people did. Many of you did. When the building wasn't being used, people didn't stay in community with one another. God is taking the the church to a place where only spiritually mature people can go. He's trying to grow us. He's inviting us to change. He's revealing things inside of us that need to go. But we need to learn what season we're in. That that what worked in the past, what worked 10 years ago for the church, and what what worked for for telling people about Jesus, you know, I believe that the gospel is, is... you don't need to, you don't need to, what's the word? You don't need to candy the gospel. You don't, you don't need to sugarcoat it. That the gospel is good on its own. You don't need to give it anything else. That if you present the gospel to people, uh, the, the true gospel, that it is life-changing. 
But I think that the methods are changing, and we need to partner with the Holy Spirit to hear from Him how we can present the gospel to people. And, and, and learn that this is a new season. We need to learn how to, sh- how, to, how to shift with the seasons. The second thing to successfully serve God, I think that we need to discover which role I play. What role do you play? Moses struck the rock and he told the people, or excuse me, I'm jumping ahead of myself. He said, listen, you rebels, must we bring water from this rock? Moses didn't understand that his role was to only be the vessel for the miracle, right? He wasn't God. He wasn't the all-powerful. Moses forgot his place. He forgot his role. He was the one who was supposed to connect the people of God with with God in this holy moment and provide this atmosphere of of honoring God and bringing the people to this place where they can honor God as holy and have a holy moment in front of the Lord. But he forgot what his role was, and he acted out in anger. We have to understand our roles in the kingdom of heaven. Do you know that... Your role, it is the role of the believer to lead your neighbors to Jesus. It's not my job. It's not my role to lead your neighbor to Jesus. And I think that we've, the church has become this, that's how we've, that's how we've kind of structured it nowadays. The church is, I'm going to, I'm going to invite my neighbor to church and let the pastor lead my neighbor to Jesus. Or I'm going to. I'm going to invite this person and they're going to have this encounter with God through the pastor or through the church. But you know what? That's not, that's not my role. It's your role. It is the believer's role to lead your neighbors to Jesus. It's not my role to visit people in the hospital, although I love to do it and I'm going to do it because I love the people that I'm in community with. But it's your role. It's the believer's role to visit people in the hospital, to love people. It's your role. Understand what your role is in this season. God is trying to use you. So many times we say, okay, well, if, I, if God asks me to do something, he's, going me to, he's telling me I'm in Safeway, for example, and God says, go speak to this person. Or, or drive to this person's house and give them a gift. And we, we excuse ourselves by saying, well, if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it, right? Like God has a plan. To, and this person, no, you don't understand. Like you are God's plan A, and he doesn't have a plan B. His church is, the plan, is plan A. His church is plan A. He, he, doesn't, he didn't create a plan B. He said, the church, go out. Go out. Preach the word of God. Bring people to Jesus. And the third thing, this is what really um, struck me during my devotions this week, is that I think we need to ask more of what God is doing. We need to take the time to ask, what, God, what are you doing in this season? What are you doing? Moses struck the rock when God asked him to speak to it. And this is what I believe was happening. And as I was reading scripture, the, the reality of this just was moving my heart and moving me into a deeper relationship with the Lord. But uh, there, there's, there's a couple things happening here. In Exodus 17, uh, there was a different rod being used. And I think that God was portraying himself through different objects and different stories. So in Exodus 17, we see that God instructed Moses to pick up his rod and to strike the rock with his rod. And Moses' rod represented, it really embodied God's power. 
It, it embodied God's judgment, his divine power, because it was the same rod that he cast before Pharaoh and it turned into a serpent. It was the same rod that touched the Nile and it turned to blood. It was the same rod that parted the Red Sea and now it was the same rod that struck the rock and water flowed from it. So God's power, God himself, was really being embodied in, in, by this staff. And yes, there's the, the, the cloud and the pillar of fire, but, but God also revealed himself through, through Moses' staff. And so wherever the staff went, God's power went, right? And so in Exodus, 7, Exodus 17, God's power is being, God himself is really being, being embodied by this rod. But in Numbers 20, God is not the rod. In fact, it was a different rod because in, in Numbers 17, God is trying to select which family is going to be the priesthood over the tabernacle. And Aaron's rod is the, is the rod that buds in Numbers 17. And, and they, place that, they place Aaron's rod in the tabernacle in the Ark of the Covenant, covenant before the Lord. And um, so when God instructs Moses to take the rod, he's actually saying take Aaron's rod now. Because Moses' rod, we don't know where Moses' rod is, but it's now Aaron's rod that Moses has. But God is not being represented by the rod anymore. God is being represented by the rock itself. What was one, God was once being represented in the rod. Now he's being represented in the rock. What, what's the significance of this? Is God is telling Moses, speak to the rock. Ask the rock for water. It was another holy moment where God invited, once God invited the people up to the mountain on Sinai for, for an intimate relationship. Here's another instance where they're about to enter the promised land. And God is saying, I am an approachable God, and you can ask me for things. Speak to the rock, and water will flow from it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul refers to Jesus as this rock. And he says this, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5, says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank, there it is, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Paul explicitly says the rock that was in the wilderness that Moses struck was Christ. Does this remind you of another story that we hear in John chapter 4 when Jesus comes to the woman at the well and what does he tell this woman at the well? He says, if you knew who it was that stood before you, you would ask me and I would give you rivers of living water. And the ones who drink the water that I have will never be thirsty. Do you see what's happening here? Is in the, in the wilderness, Moses didn't understand that what God was actually doing was he was trying to bring his people to a new level of relationship. Don't strike the rock like you did before. Just ask me for it, and I'll pour it out for you. I want to have a holy moment with my people, Moses. I want them to come before me. I want them to honor me as holy. I want them to speak to me, and I want to provide for them. God desired to reveal himself as someone that you could speak to. I think that if we miss what God is trying to do in our hearts and in our church and in our society, if we, if we don't understand what God is doing and we don't stop to ask him, God, what are you doing? Then we will become engaged in the wrong things or become completely disengaged altogether from what God is doing. And 
if I could take this a little closer to home, and I'm, again, like, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody in this room. I'm, I'm actually talking about the church, the capital C church. What, what we've seen in this last season from the capital C church is that so many people in this last election and in this last year, there were people in the church saying, oh, I know what God is doing. I can tell you what God is doing. He's trying to get somebody elected. That's how God is moving in our country. He's trying to get somebody elected. And then when that didn't happen, it was like, well, then God, what are you doing? Because God wasn't necessarily, I don't, I don't disagree. I think that God has his hands in our politics, and I believe as a church, we're supposed to be actively involved in politics. But that wasn't what God was doing primarily. He was trying to, to shape hearts. He was trying to move his church. He's still, I believe he's still trying to move his church into a new place of spiritual maturity. But if we miss what God is doing, then we're going to become engaged in the wrong thing and say, I know how God is moving, but we never stop to ask him, God, what are you doing? Does that make sense? (laughs) When Jesus began his ministry, there were people that thought that Jesus had come to overthrow Rome. That's what God, that is what God is doing. The Messiah is here. Okay, now it's game time. I'm going to wait for him to rally the troops. We're going to war against Rome. He's going to free everybody. Let's get on board. Come on, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, there's a rumor going around that there are people that are after, they're going to kill you. Jesus, there's people that want to take your life. We got to do something. We got we to get the disciples together. We got to get together all the people. Jesus, we know what's going on. We know what to do. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of this. Okay, Jesus, I'm sure in that moment, guys, 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 this is not what's, what I'm doing. They didn't understand that he had come to be the sacrificial lamb, that he was going to die, and that was part of God's plan. Jesus faced this. He was surrounded by people who didn't know what he was doing at first. And there were people who thought that they had an idea of what the Messiah came to do. He came to overthrow the Roman government. I know what God is doing. But Jesus had a different plan. God in this season is inviting you into a deeper level of kingdom engagement. But here's the thing. Is that this deeper level and this, this spiritual growth... There are some things that you can only find in the secret place. There are some things that you can only get in the secret place. You can't get it anywhere else. You can't, you can't, you can't come to church and, and hear a good message. You can't wait for a prophet to come and lay hands on you. You can't, <clears throat> you can't do anything but go to the secret place. There are some things that you only receive in the secret place. There are some truths and some promises and a deeper level of intimacy that can only be found when you determine that you are going to go into the room and close the door and spend time with Jesus and listen to his voice. This is something that we have to get. We have to get it right. We have to be in the secret place, church. We have to be coming before the Lord on a regular basis and asking him, God, what are you doing? How can I be a part of this? How can I surrender myself to you? Isaiah 43, verse 19 through 21, says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches, that's some random creatures right there. 
For I give in the wilderness rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. He says, behold, I am doing a new thing. I believe God is doing a new thing in our church, and we have to be aware that God wants to do a new thing in you, that, 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 that he's not done with you. He is not done with you. He's got so many, so many more plans, so much more for you. And we have to be able to say, God, you're not done with me. What can I do? How can I partner with you? Did you notice that water flowed from the rock regardless? Regardless of the method that was used, water still gushed forth. So why was Moses punished? If the water came out, and that was the result that everybody wanted, right? Well, that's not the result that God wanted. See, God... The water was not the result that God was looking for. God was looking for obedience. That was the result he wanted. But did Moses' disobedience stop God from providing for his people? No. God's faithfulness and goodness, here's the thing, it's not dependent upon your obedience. It's not dependent upon your actions. He's faithful and he is good regardless because that's who he is. But if you choose disobedience, you may be disqualified for an even greater prize because God has greater things in store for you. What is God asking of you? I'm going to invite Jennifer to come up as we close. What is God asking of you? If you're unsure of what he's asking of you in this season, then read his word because his word is full of instruction. It's full of his desires for his people. It's full of promises. And so if we feel, if, you, if you're here and you feel like, I just don't hear from God, I don't hear his voice, open up your Bible, read the word of the Lord for your life. It's, it was written to another people, but it was written for you. The word of God was written for you. And he can speak to you through it. We're gonna close this morning in communion and I feel like, it's appropriate because I think the Lord wants to have a holy moment with us this morning. And so would you grab your communion elements? Those of you watching online, grab your communion right now and open it up. Let's all hear that tearing sound together. There it is. Jesus, we are so thankful that you provided for your people, that you provide for your people that God, you invited us into a relationship where we can ask of you. We can ask you for healing. We can ask you for forgiveness. We can ask you for provision. Thank you that you are that kind of God. And Lord, we love you. We lift you up. And and Jesus, we remember the sacrifice that you paid on the cross, that your body was crushed, that you were bruised so that my body could be whole, that my body could find freedom from sickness and from sin. And God, you've brought the kingdom of heaven to earth when you were born. And we know that that kingdom will will come into true fulfillment when you return. But Father, we can live in that promise now. And so Father, we realign ourselves with your sacrifice for what you did on the cross. We take the, the bread and the bread that you hold in your hand represents the body of Jesus that was broken. And Jesus said that he was crushed for your healing. So Jesus, we take the bread in remembrance of you. God, we thank you for what you've done. Let's take it together.
take the cup. Father, we thank you that forgiveness is just a conversation away. It's just asking. God, I pray for the people here this morning maybe who feel heavy and burdened, like they have something on their shoulders and they, they, can't, they can't get it off. Lord, we ask for freedom to take place this morning for a, a clean slate. God, that you would pour out your spirit fresh on them, that there would be new forgiveness, new freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. God, we thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross. God, we thank you that we don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live in guilt. But your word says that we just come to you. We turn around. We repent. It literally means to turn. God, we turn from our sin. We turn to you. God, we want to align ourselves with what you're doing in, the, in our church, capital C. We love you. We thank you for that forgiveness in Jesus' name. Let's take it together. I'm going to ask the prayer teams of Jethro and Cheryl and maybe Kurt, if you guys want to come forward. Let's all stand together, church. If you would like some prayer, if you, um, if you need somebody to talk to or you'd like somebody to pray over you, there's going to be some people up here who would love to pray with you. And I just want to say that the Lord loves you and he is proud of you that he, he's proud of who you are. And I, and I believe that that invitation for you to come into a greater level of relationship with him is something that he so desires so much more than any of us could want. So God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday for Mother's Day. See you then.